Take a trip to somewhere far away It could be Timbuktu or just Tampa Bay Hello, you've made it to Jawadawa, part two, Desperate Times. Scene seven, what's the plan? Scene opens around a cluttered table at the chowder hose. Various half-empty cups and bowls are scattered about, mixed in with a few dented beer cans, torn chip bags, and crumpled napkins. All in all, it looks like a complete ballroom blitz. Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds are all sweating like pigs, clutching their stomachs and moaning, while Jenny is finishing up dry heaving into her purse. She comes up for air, gasps a few times, and then roots around the table until she finds a bowl still half full of Manhattan with some soggy croutons from a Caesar salad tossed into it. She hunts down a spoon, wipes it off, and tucks into the chatter. Joe Frank pulls out a toothpick and starts fishing out the clam bits, while Hamilton nurses a tiny mustache cup, and Reynolds is actively tearing his hair out. Jenny lets out a massive belch, and everyone is shaken out of their food comas. Reynolds begins to shuffle around on the table looking for some papers. The AC is clearly broken, and everyone looks a bit sweaty and flush. Let me see that plan again. Reynolds pulls out a stained piece of paper with scribbles on it. It looks like the back of a utility bill envelope. He squints to try to make out the handwriting for a moment, sounding out a few random words. Miss Thick Stank. Finally, he gives up and tosses the paper over his shoulder. Fuck. Jenny butts in, her mouth still full of food. Did I ever tell you how I won a Miss Thick Stank pageant back in Sheboygan? Everyone stops what they're doing for a second to stare at her. Collectively, they decide to ignore it and go back to whatever they were doing. Lewis appears suddenly and stomps on the cast-off envelope with his foot. Hey, I pity the fool who lit is in my restaurant. He glares at Reynolds until he gets uncomfortable. What? Pick it up. Hey, I don't work here. How about we get some table service? Things are getting a bit crowded around these parts. I got a better idea. How about you pick that up? You know I'm the director of this airport, right? We we could shut you down. Or at least take our business to the feed trough. Jenny shudders. Don't make me ask you again, fool. Reynolds meets his stare for a brief moment of deadlock. And then finally, Reynolds flinches and gets up to pick the envelope off the floor. He disposes of it properly in the trash. For good measure, he picks up a couple of soiled napkins and a soda cup lid as well. Thank you! Gluis begins to walk away until Jenny flags him down. Hey, Big G, hit me with another oversized ramekin of your finest Boston cream stew. Oh yeah, and a side of ranch. The weight bogs, eh? Coming right up. Let's shoot up for a hit from the hose! He makes the chatter hose arm gesture and gives her a serious stare. Oh, um, yeah, no thanks, just bog me. Gluis grumbles and goes off to find a clean mug. Well, nobody ever wants to eat a rose mine. Okay, let's take it from the top. Problem one, this airport smells like diarrhea took a shit. Problem two, everything here seems to be falling apart. 
As he says this, a light bulb above them shatters, spraying tiny bits of glass everywhere and dimming the scene slightly. Fuck! Where the hell is Hoffman? Problem three. We seem to be dealing with an increasingly hostile army of protesters. Problem four. If we don't solve the first three problems, the FAA is going to turn this entire place into a Zappos warehouse, and we will never work in this town again. Now, does anyone have any ideas? Or at least any fucking idea what's going on here? No idea. To be honest, this place is starting to resemble my Uncle Ethan. What's wrong with your Uncle Ethan? <laughs> Hamilton slurps at his mustache cup. Everything. He's in a facility. He's dying of AIDS. Full-blown. He smells horrible. And every day it seems like there's something new that's gone wrong with him. And he even has to deal with the protesters, too, since he's in Topeka. Does he have a hole in his sock? Reynolds ignores Jenny. Wait. What? Really? Oh, yeah. It's depressing as hell. No. I mean, are you really trying to tell me you think John Wayne Airport is dying of AIDS? Well, it makes a lot of sense. What else have we got? Joe Frank nods sagely. Yeah, I can see it. Are you out of your fucking mind? I can't tell Fudgeson that the airport is dying of AIDS. Do, do they even make pills that big? I mean, come on, man. Jenny points at Hamilton's mustache cup. The fuck is that thing anyway? This, uh, it's a mustache cup. What in McClintock's exclamation point is a mustache cup? Jesus Christ, Jenny, don't you know anything? A mustache cup is a... At that, Jesus approaches, holding out her hand. Jesus is actually a rather attractive and sexually amped older woman, uh, played by Joey Heatherton, dressed in white Jesus robes. Hello, boys. I do believe I've heard my name. Spare a few talents for the light of this world. Fifty-seven more cents, and I can pony up for a po'boy. Blessed are the chowder makers, you know, for they shall inherit the girth. She pats her belly. The four of them realize it's too late to pretend they don't see her. Jenny quickly slurps up the rest of the leftovers. Eyeing Jesus as she does. Get fucked. I'm Shinto. Jesus peers around at the rest of them after making a half-hearted sign of the cross over Jenny. Nothing, my sons. Can you cure my Uncle Ethan? What ails him, my son? He's got the age. Jesus takes a couple steps back and wipes her hand on her robes. Well, I can ask my dad, but you know how he feels about the... You know... She shakes her fist in front of her mouth with one hand while jabbing at the inside of her cheek with her tongue. The other hand is thumb out, stabbing at her ass. Reynolds pipes up. Hey, that's entirely dependent on how you interpret the ancient Greek. In any case, that homophobic trash isn't welcome here, Jesus. Knock it off. I can't believe you haven't been locked up yet, you loon. He fishes in his pocket and drops a few Canadian dimes in her hand. Hey, Cocksucker, these are trachma. Reynolds ignores her and turns his attention back to the group. Okay, gang. He wipes his sweaty brow. I want ideas. Hamilton eyes Jesus, who is still just lurking. Are we supposed to act like she's not there? Joe Frank is fanning himself. Fucking Christ, it's hot in here. 
No offense, ma'am. All right, all right. If you can't help me with any loose change, can you at least try and help me find my passport? You wonder why Jerusalem is such a mess? I've been stuck in this crap manger for 20 years. Jenny barks at Jesus, spitting her food. Get lost, will ya? Jesus scurries off, putting the hex on them. Jenny leans over the table. Okay, be honest. Would you fuck Jesus? Fucking hell, Jenny. That's so Old Testament style. Right in the Amos. <laughs> Jenny laughs out a chunk of lettuce. <laughs> what am I, you ham? Would you Jose a bitch down? You two are juveniles. Cut her some slack. Don't you know she's a gay icon and a true patriot? Wait till she sees my second Peter. Jenny does a spit take on her chowder, blasting Hamilton in the face. He drops his mustache cup. It shatters on the floor. Lewis returns with the bogs. Hey, I pity the fool don't clean his damn four loco off my floor. Cut to Jesus, walking out the doors into the bright sunshine. The light hurts her eyes, and she can't really see where she's going. She staggers a bit towards the load-unload zone, where a beggar is sprawled on the ground. He's a gross-looking dude, covered in boils and sores. Jesus shuffles right up to him, but he's disoriented or sleeping or something. So bright, the light of my father's love shines like a million candles. She squints, then gets an uncomfortable look on her face. Uh-oh. Get the ark. Jesus hikes up her robes and begins to squat. She shoots a heavy stream of piss straight onto the beggar, who suddenly begins to flail and scream. <coughs> Jesus leaps up and jogs off. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the me, and the Holy Ghost. The beggar struggles to his feet, cursing her out for a moment. <coughs> until he realizes he can walk, and his boils and his sores are healing. He leaps up, does a soft chew, and praises the name. Word of Lord! He brushes off his dirty clothes and sniffs at his hands. Hey, strawberry. Chihuahua, scene eight, stinky clothes. A large gold 1984 Cadillac Coupe de Ville pulls up to a storefront in downtown Anaheim. It's a sick-ass convertible, with cow horns on the hood and the top down. Behind the wheel is Fudgeson. He parks and gets out, hauling a black plastic lawn garbage bag from the back seat. He also picks up a couple of those airplane wheel chocks from the floor and wedges them behind the back tire as he rounds the trunk and moves towards the shop. Camera pans to follow. We see the place is Madame Pooh's three-hour martinizing. It's a dry cleaner. Cut to interior. Fudgeson hikes his sunglasses up into his hair and blinks in the low light of the shop. The walls are covered in Chinese-slash-Asian cowboy movie posters. The Chongqing Kid, Wild Mung Prairie, Rio Amarillo, General Sao's Bladder, Bring Me the Head of Jingbao Dongfeng. There's a little old Chinese lady behind the counter, Madame Pooh, using an abacus to balance her till. Behind her are racks of dry, clean clothes. Fountains of Wayne are playing on the radio. Uh, Stacy's mom. A large machine with a panel affixed to reading Cleveland Steamer Co. is belching out a bunch of steam. 
Fudgeson tips his imaginary hat. Argato, ma'am. Can I just drop these off here? He hefts the bag a bit. Madame Pooh holds up one finger, indicating he needs to wait on her abacus work. Wait, are you, are you literally working in a Chinese laundry and using an abacus? That I walk into a Charlie Chan movie? That's racist as hell. Racist? Chinese people use abacuses. I'll tell you what's racist. White people telling me what I can and can't do. That's racist. Madame Pooh finishes her calculation, then sets aside the abacus. Well, actually, I'm half Native American. My mother was... Well, good afternoon, Kemosabe. Yes, just put your soiled garments here. Fudgeson considers taking issue with her language, then just gives up and womps it down. Soiled. Uh, no, it's not quite like that. They, uh, they just, uh... Madame Pooh opens the bag and gets knocked back by a stench. Let's say her wig is askew. She gives Fudgeson the evil eye. What have you been doing, gringo? Some kind of a American poop sex game? Brown Jack? This... She points at the bag. This is not natural. Man, please, uh, You take me for a fool, do you? I hear things you know. Stories about what you people do at night. Ma'am, please, I was not partaking in an Altoona schooner. Then what you been doing, huh? I just spent all morning at the airport. Airport? John Wayne! Ferguson nods. <laughs> she spits on the floor. A curse on that place. It's evil. She begins to shove the bag back at him. I refuse. I want nothing to do with it. Evil. Demons. Fudgerson pushes the bag back at her. They go back and forth, each of them getting a nice whiff with each shove until they are both retching. I can't go back to Washington in these clothes. They need to be cleaned. Unclean. Unclean. No hours of martinizing would get the stink of evil out. Fudgerson gets desperate. I'll pay double. She immediately stops, pulls the bag toward herself, and chucks it into a laundry basket. Ready by 4.30. Previet. She turns her back on him, straps on some kind of industrial gas mask. She gives herself a generous hit of Chanel number no. 5, and starts getting the laundry ready. Fudgeson stares for a moment, and then turns on his heel and walks out. Jawadawa, scene 9, Mystic Stink. Scene opens in Reynolds' office on the top floor, overlooking the runways. Reynolds enters looking frantic. He begins pacing back and forth, sweating profusely and fanning himself with a spare copy of Airport General Manager's Over 50 magazine. When this does not seem to work, he goes over to one of the windows and cracks it open, gasping in the fresh air. Only it's not so fresh. <laughs> He immediately gags and slams the window shut and starts coughing. <coughs> Before he's done with his coughing fit, a dirt-covered black hand grasps the window from the outside and forces it open. It's Hoffman, wearing cut-off shorts, a gold sheepskin vest, and his black cowboy hat. Now with a shark-tooth band. He's still wearing the eye patch and is chewing on the end of a long, leather-wrapped peace pipe, which is still smoldering with some sort of suspicious substance. Hoffman! Where the hell have you been? 
I've been looking everywhere for you. I've been calling you all morning. He fishes his flip phone out of his pocket. Ooh, what you talking about, boss? I've been right here all day. You told me to come to your office. I guess someone forgot to unlock the window. He stares at Reynolds accusingly. Um, yeah. Well, shut the damn thing before you let any more of that old yogurt Chiraco into my precious temple. When Hoffman hesitates, Reynolds bursts into action and slams the window shut. He gets his tie stuck in the window and has to open and shut it again. The window frame rattles concerningly. Uh, okay, well, fuck. You're here now. Tell me you have good news for me, buddy. He grabs Hoffman by the sheepskin lapels and his voice rises. Save me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Sarah, man, I I'm not a Star Trekker. Airport feels compelled to add his two cents as well. Though, as usual, only Hoffman can hear him. Come on, moron, that's not Space Trek. Everyone knows that's the one with the puppets. Nanu, Nanu. Reynolds looks offended, but chooses to change the subject. Alright, fine, whatever, who cares? Just tell me you found the source of this mysterious stench. Just tell me. Oh, that chili is too spicy for him, partner. Are you referring to the mystic stink? What? Yes, the, the mystical stink. What, what is it? What is it? I, I told you, it's a mystic stink. Right. A mystic stink. Whatever you call it. Well, where is it coming from? It's, it's coming from my, my back, back 40, 40, you ninny. Tell him. Well, that's complicated. It's uh, it's coming from the past, man. What? Uh, okay. Doesn't everything? Are you, are you drunk? He leans into Sniff Hoffman and then quickly regrets it, pulling back. Jesus. Okay, whatever. Can we fix it? Can he fix my butthole? Yeah, maybe. With a healthy dollop of ointment. There was an unpleasant rumbling sound. Oh no. Might be time to circle the wagons, buckaroo. Fix? Well, sir, that's not really the right word. See, what you got here is not so much a physical problem as a metaphysical one. A what? What's the difference? Well, uh, one has the word meta in front of it. Oh, come on, meta schmeta. The metaphysical problems smell like cleaning day at the bottom feeder aquarium? Okay, fuck it. Let's just bleach the whole fucking thing. Can you do that? Can you bleach the entire goddamn airport? He can bleach my rusted ring. Tell him he can bleach my confounded... An extremely nasty, wet splorch resounds. Often looks around, wrinkling his nose. No, you don't get it, man. That ain't no good. Anyway, where the hell are we gonna get that much bleach? That's like a swimming pool full. You know how much that costs? He fans his face. <sighs> what kind of a bleach budget we got these days? Good point. Didn't... Sinbad have some kind of duck farm surplus cleaning product last month? The splorch hits him. <gasps> good, good lord, was that you? Say excuse me at least, you philistine. No, boss, this is what I'm talking about. It's the stank. And if you mean the jizzard, wasn't that recalled due to bird flu? 
Yeah, that sounds right. Recalled. Hell, I bet we could get that for cheap. Go talk to the bad man. What a numbskull. He's not getting it, dude. Maybe we'd better knock some sense into the old mule. Where's my brick? No, you're not getting it. Look, this airport ain't dirty. It's cursed. The stink is coming from the other side. Look around you. We are standing right now upon a massive Native American burial ground. It's... What? Poppycock. I read all the old plans and surveys. There were no Indians here, and if there were, they wouldn't have buried anyone here. This was all rocks and salt flats. No, all the dead Indians are over at LAX. Fuck. It's indigenous American people, you moron. Hell, my butthole is less racist than you. Oh, wait, you misunderstand. These aren't real Indians. This isn't a real burial ground. Reynolds looks confused. Okay, so it's like a metaphor? You can't say like a metaphor, man. That's a simile. What? Stop changing the subject. So it is a metaphor, then. No, no it's, it's not. The airport was actually built on a real fake Indian burial ground. He starts rooting through Reynolds' desk. You got any strows? Reynolds walks over to the closet where he has a mini fridge. He pulls out a couple of beer cans and tosses one to Hoffman, then sits back in his chair, cracks the beer, and begins to gulp from the can, mopping his brow. Fuck, man. This is gross. He throws the beer in the trash. <sighs> Reynolds wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. Fake Indians, eh? Wheel enough to gargle the shit out of your airport. But yeah, they're fake. I mean, they can't be real. They're like total stereotypes, like all wrong. Blackfoot wall paint with a Cherokee ceremonial headdress, pleather loincloths, cheap wristwatches, that kind of thing. What? Are, are you some sort of expert on Native American costume now? Well, my grandmother on my mom's side was half Sioux. She, uh... So you've met these Indians? A few, yeah. Let's see, there's Spread Eagle... Big Black Hawk, multiple orca swim. Oh yeah, and once in a while I seen Diddly Squaw. I diddled a few squaws back in my day, too. What? God damn it, what the fuck is wrong with you? Those aren't real fake Indians, those are porn names. Have you been sniffing the airplane glue again? Fuck! I don't have time for this shit. No, I, I swear, they're real. Well... Real fakes. I traded some Amazon stuff with him for this badass pup. So, where are these teepee squatting clowns? Fuck. And they call me racist. They're right here, boss. In the airport. Really? So, you can take me to them? Huh? You know where they are, right? So, you can take me to them. And we can have their pleather loincloth asses arrested. Well, no, it don't work like that, man. I, I told you, this is a metaphysical curse. You can't just form a posse and bust them down. <sighs> okay. So, how do you get rid of metaphysical Indians? Can I sneak some smallpox into the void? 
I really don't recommend that. Astral smoke signals? The hell is that? Well, can you just tell him to go away? I already told him once. No, I, I don't think they'll do that. Reynolds finishes his grolch, loosens his tie, belches, and then smashes the can flat against his forehead. All right, old man. That's it. We are done. Thank you for your service. Here, I've been saving up for this. He opens his desk, pulls out a gold Casio wristwatch, and hands it over to Hoffman. What's this? It's your pension, old man. That's it. You're fired. You were drunk. You were crazy. You smell like pig night at a frat house. And you just about wasted all my fucking precious time for the last fucking time. Get the fuck out. He pushes Hoffman out the door of his office. And don't let the door hit you in the... Slams the door, which thuds hard into Hoffman's backside. He shoves it until it latches. There's a bit of a Sega war. And then he locks it. You gotta let that gringo put you out to pasture. There's a banging at the door. Reynolds looks around his office hurriedly, notices the window, and then runs over and locks it. He presses a button on his desk, and a window shade starts to slide down to cover the windows. He gets about halfway down before it sticks, goes askew, and starts making grinding sounds. Reynolds breathes a sigh of relief. and pulls out his iPhone which he pokes at for a moment before he remembers it does not work. Fuck! He throws the iPhone at the window shade, which unsticks it, and it starts briefly to continue to roll down before it creaks and the whole thing falls off the wall. Finally, he grabs the phone in his desk and picks it up. It's time to call in the professionals. Joe, it's Nick. Can you Google the Orkin Man for me? It's not disgusting! Shut up! Jawadawa, scene 10, John Wayne movies. The scene opens on a dingy hotel room. Fudgerson is sprawled on the floral print bedspread in his tidy whiteies. A Schlitz tallboy is propped on his stomach, and he's got a remote control in one hand. We see several empty cans on the bed around him and a picked-over takeout turkey in a plastic tub on the night table. We see the bedside clock read 6.14 p.m. On the floor is a full black plastic garbage bag. He has a glazed look on his face. Cut to the TV screen. He flips through a few channels until he comes to the Forgotten Classics channel. Stay tuned for our celebration of a true American icon. Tonight, starting in just a few moments, our John Wayne Marathon. Cut back to Fudgeson on the bed. He lets out a long belch which sort of melts into the word Dick. Cut back to the screen. We see a Technicolor title screen. Why Pitt Productions presents a film by Graham Pizzorni, starring John Wayne. Cut back to Ferguson. Woo! He scratches his balls and chugs some beer. Cut back to the screen. Final title card. Fitzpatrick dissolves into the film within this film. The fake film opens with John Wayne, who we imagine could be played by Billy Bob Thornton and voiced by Larry Storch. Riding across a prairie on a lovely sunny western day. In the distance, we see some teepees. Cut to Fudgeson on the bed. Damn, that horse has a dump truck. Cut back to the fake movie. 
An Abe Lincoln looking dude rides up to John Wayne. He has a bunch of rolled up maps and charts under his arm. Bitch Patrick, it's about darn time. The territorial government hired you to clear this land of Injuns by summer, and it's almost planting time. John Wayne laconically looks the guy over, then peers out at the teepees. Hold your horses, Nelly. You can't rush greatness. Nelly? Sir, I am an accredited representative of the Land Commission. John Wayne stares him down. <sighs> You're a panty waste. John Wayne punches him in the jaw and knocks him off his horse. He rides towards the teepees. Cut to Fudgeson on the bed. Yeah, take that, you fucking land commission bitch. Cut back to the fake movie. John Wayne reigns up in front of Chief Buffalo Nickel in full Comanche headdress and Cherokee war paint in the midst of the teepee village. John Wayne holds up his palm. Ow. Buffalo Nickel just stares in that noble savage kind of way. John Wayne fishes a worn-out piece of parchment from his pocket and waves it in front of the chief. Here, I have big medicine that say you must go to the lands of your fathers. He whips the paper back and forth. Vamoose! These are the lands of our fathers and their fathers even unto the time of the great spirits. What are you saying, pale face? John Wayne crumples the paper. Ah, hell, I'm saying go, or I'll plant you, Redskin. Buffalo Nickel turns to confer with his braves. As he does, John Wayne pulls his six-shooter and starts blasting. All the Indians are dead. Cut to Fudgeson on the bed, eyes bugged. Holy shit! I didn't see that coming. Cut back to the fake movie. There's a quick montage of John Wayne shooting Indians, burning down teepees, hunting squaws with a bow and arrow pissing into a well, using corn cobs as toilet paper, all kinds of insensitive garbage. Cut to Fudgeson on the bed. Damn, what a badass. He chugs another tall boy, belches, <coughs> and rolls onto his side, groaning. He peers at the digital clock, which reads 6.45. Shit, time to party. Hello, front desk. This is Commander... Uh, Commissioner Fudgeson up in 507. Ah, yes, yes. Well, I'm wondering, what is there to do here in Anaheim at 7 on a Wednesday night? No, God damn it, I've been banned from Disneyland. Ah, uh, really? The Fertile Crescent, you say? It's a what? Why the fuck not? He rips another belch and hangs up. Jawadawa, scene 11, The Crimson Cork. The scene shifts to the lesbian bar, The Fertile Crescent. It's kind of swanky and western-themed with two levels. Upper story looking down over the bar and dance floor. It's packed with fine-ass lesbos. Some dance version of Don't Pull Your Love Out is playing. The bartender is a chubby bull dyke, slinging beer down the bar and pouring shots. The dance floor is full. The place is loud. We see Fudgeson burst through the front doors. He's wearing a buckskin jacket, Davy Crockett cap, unseemly tight leather pants, and cowboy boots. No one else is in western gear, incidentally. They told me it was cowgirl night. Takes off his hat and slaps his thigh with it. Tarnation! He gets the stink eye from a bunch of ladies as he makes his way across the dance floor to the bar. But one rather handsome woman spanks him as he passes her. He turns, does a little bow, and then continues on his way. He bellies up to the bar. 
The bartender, Charlotte Charlie O'Hare, looks him up and down like he just walked in wearing a God Hates Dykes t-shirt. Can I help you, Captain Crockett? Ferguson drums his fingers on the bar, scanning the bar back, peering at bottles. Oh, let me get a... Uh, give me a sec. Uh, this goes on for far too long. Whiskey, that's a cowboy drink rat on the rocks. Wait, uh, no. Neat. Neat. Is that what they say? No ice. One whiskey. Neat. No ice. So, you from out of town, I take it. Well, ma'am, you could say I'm out on the lonesome trail, yes. <laughs> He's not seeming to get that this is a lesbian bar. Charlie sets the drink in front of him. Go figure. Enjoy cowgirl and squanite, cowpoke. Charlie turns and goes off. Fudgeson grabs a twisty straw and sips tepidly at his whiskey, licking around the room. He smiles and waves at various women, who all look back disgusted. He gets up to dance after a while. It's horrific. He sits back down at the bar next to a creepy-looking person in an obvious wig and a five o'clock shadow. It is Peter Tucker, fantasy casting David Payne. An airport inspector, dressed in drag, sucking on a big fruity drink with an umbrella. Evening, buttercup. How's your mata? Tucker's eyes bulge as he takes in Fudgeson. Ah, uh, spicy. Fudgeson is already sloppy drunk. You've got a look about you, young lady. Listen, uh, I don't think... Fudgeson puts his hand on Tucker's thigh. Oh, but I do. Tucker takes Fudgeson's hand off him. No, this... This is not what you think it is. I, I'm not, uh... Fudgeson sits back and looks Tucker up and down. Wait a second. Tucker takes out a compact and touches up his lipstick, then puts it away in his clutch purse. I, I just needed a night out. You know, my work is, uh... It's stressful at the moment. <clears throat> Tell me about it. I'm up to my nice tight ass and problems at work. So, gorgeous, what line of work are you in? Fudgeson sets his drink down on the bar. From above, there is a drip of blood. It lands on the bar beside his drink. Another splashes into the drink. He doesn't notice. Tucker leans in. I'm an airport inspector for the TSA. Fudgeson practically falls off his stool. Fuck the fuck off. Are you kidding me? No, I, I'm not. I, I just spent three days in... Burbank in Ontario. I mean, talk about boring. There's nothing going on there. And I'm under all this pressure to find something so my bosses can justify budget cuts. <sighs> he takes a long drink. This is amazing. This is, this is fate. Yeah? You okay, ma'am? Oh, I'm fantastic. And it's all your fault. He grabs his drink and takes a swig, making a face. He sets it down again just in time for a long string of blood to splat into it. This time, Tucker sees it. Uh... Tucker points at the drink. He and Fudgeson watch another drip. He points up and they both tip their heads back. Cut to shot of the ceiling. It's wooden planks, spaced wide enough apart that you can get some kind of an idea that there's a woman standing just above them in a skirt. Another drip, and the camera follows it in slow motion down into Fudgeson's glass. Cut to Fudgeson's horrified face. Cut to Charlie, noticing the bloody mess on her bar and the look on Fudgeson's face. 
She reaches under the bar and pulls out a Nerf dirt gun. From her back pocket, she pulls a long plastic-wrapped tube and rips it open with her teeth. It is a tampon. She jams it into the Nerf gun, cocks it, and aims straight up. Keep your Aunt Flo at home. She pulls the trigger. Cut to the upper level, where a pretty woman is standing talking to friends. She's wearing a short skirt and holding a drink. Suddenly we hear a thwick, and she flinches like she got snapped by a rubber band on her vagina. She looks down and then just tilts her head as though oddly pleased. Cut back to Fudges and Tucker and Charlie at the bar. Charlie nods, puts her Nerf gun away, wipes down the bar, and moseys off. Did you see that? Unbelievable. The Crimson Cork. I never thought I'd live to see it. They sit for a moment, basking in what feels like a historical moment. Then Fudgeson turns to Tucker. Listen, I have a proposal. I only dress like this to get lesbians. Fudgeson looks confused. Does it work? Tucker shakes his head, looking sad. Okay, listen. You're an airport inspector. I have an airport that needs inspecting. You, you have an airport? In a manner of speaking. Wh- which one? JWA. Tucker whistles. John Wayne? Fudgeson nods. Man, the stories I heard about that place, are they true? They can't be. Fudgeson picks up his drink, almost thinks twice about it, then downs it. What have you heard? It's a dump. It's falling apart. The guys who run it are chowderheads. Then, of course, there's all the weird shit. Weird shit? Oh, come on. You know what I mean. Fudgeson's face is a stone wall. Tucker leans in and whispers. The dead frogs. The bird strikes. The smell. Fudgeson nods. Who, boy? Tell me about it. I thought I'd walked into wherever shit-stained underwear goes to die after killing itself from shame. Well, see, here's the thing. Like you said, the guys running JWA are full-on chatterheads. Extra clams. So here's my proposal, but it needs professional execution. You got the moves? Oh, I have the moves, I right. He shakes his falsies. Fudgeson grimaces, then leans in and whispers in Tucker's ear, like in those old Scooby-Doo cartoons, where you can hear him saying, pss, 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 and Tucker's nodding along. Finally, they both sit up and clink glasses. Tucker drinks, but Fudgeson's is empty. He signals to Charlie. I'll have what she's having.